I love when a plan comes together. Just so happens that we are reading a particular part of Paul's letter to the Philippians that in my mind just so sums up the specialness of this day. I love that we are reading and talking about this particular portion of Paul's letter on a Sunday where we baptize a baby and are all going to celebrate Holy Communion. You see, Paul this morning is going to be talking about the unmerited, unwarranted grace and love that we are not worthy of that comes from God. And instead of just talking about that grace this morning, we are going to embody that grace through God's acceptance and claim of Landon in baptism and through, all, and through God's invitation of all of us to come to the Lord's table. The exact context of our scripture passage this morning is a bit unknown. As we've talked about the last few weeks, with the letters like Corinthians and Galatians, Paul is much more explicit about the situation that he is speaking to. Paul in Philippians doesn't give us, reading 2,000 years later, a whole lot to go on. But yet what Paul is talking about speaks to a particular religious attitude that is still alive now, just as it was when Paul was ministering. So let's take a look at what Paul says. We are in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. It'll be displayed on the screen behind me. It's printed in your lifeline. If you need a Bible, we give them away for free out in the cafeteria. Paul says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again as it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. We're going to skip over the first verse a little bit, just for the sake of time and clarity, because what I really want to focus on is what Paul says from verse 2 on. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. There has been and there always will be within Christianity this struggle between understanding our salvation as accomplished by grace through faith and our calling to be righteous and holy as God is righteous and holy. Christians are to live within the tension of those two poles. And yet oftentimes we get pulled to one or the other extreme. Go too far to the grace extreme and suddenly we have people arguing that our actions are not important, that our attempts to be righteous are not important, that since we are forgiven, we can do whatever we want. This is called antinomianism. Antinomianism. Let's say that five times fast. Martin Luther had a saying, sin boldly so that grace may abound more boldly. There's a poor reading of this phrase that says, keep on sinning so that you can experience more grace in your life. That's not what we as Christians are called to do. But the other extreme is what Paul is talking about here. It was particularly prevalent in the early church, and Paul has to write against this idea not only in this letter, but in Corinthians and in Galatians and probably a couple more times. And it says, this idea says that our call to righteousness and holiness and our ability to be righteous and holy are directly tied to our salvation, sometimes called works righteousness. Christianity arose out of the Jewish faith. Jesus and his disciples and Paul and others were Jews. So one of the early controversies in the Christian church was what to do with the law now that we are forgiven through Christ. What seems to have happened in many places where Paul started churches was that Paul would come and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ of salvation by grace through faith. And at a certain point after Paul left, the people in those churches would struggle with what to do with the law, what to do about righteousness and holiness and a call to righteous and holy living. Now there's a theory out there that there was these traveling bands of Judaizers that would come into a city after Paul and to bring the church over to Torah observance and the importance of circumcision. I like to think that these ideas naturally arose in different areas independent of one another, mainly because you don't have to invent roving bands of Judaizers, uh, but also because these are issues that Christians are still dealing with. What seems to have happened is that the Philippian church has come under the idea that circumcision and Torah observance are necessary in order to be a part of God's people. That some outward sign or some action or, some, or keeping some laws will make one worthy of God's love. Now the religious significance of circumcision or following all the laws of Deuteronomy are no longer issues for us today. We've set those aside. But the Christian church still has for itself some self-constructed barriers. If you've had any experience in going to different churches, my hunch is you've encountered a church where it's important to say the right things, do the right things, believe the right things, wear the right kind of clothing, 
in different churches, we, we put up these barriers and we force people to be worthy of coming to be a part of God's people in that church. There may or may not have been, but certainly was, a church in the Virginia Conference where every Sunday they would have people stationed at the door. Now, lots of churches do this as a way to warmly welcome those that are attending. But at this church, they served a different function. As people would come up to the church, the people stationed at the door would would take a look at them, what they were wearing, how they were acting, and would either welcome them in or would say, you know, you might feel more comfortable at the church down the street. Not all churches are as overt or explicit as that one. But if you've had a lot of experience in, the, in churches, you might have come across one where it became pretty clear that there were certain barriers of entry, certain self-made barriers of entry. Or talk, how, about we, how about the different ways that we celebrate our sacraments? This morning we baptized baby Landon, who's now chowing down, lucky guy. The Methodist Church celebrates the baptism of infants, but not all Christian denominations do. In the Baptist Church and some non-denominational churches, they will only do what's called believer's baptism. They say that you have to know what you're saying and the meaning of the questions you're answering to have it be effective. There are some parts of the Christian church that say baptism is only real if it's by full immersion. The Methodist Church, however, champion my brand, believes that the most important thing in baptism isn't what we say or do, but what God does for us, what God says to us. Baptism is God's word to us, declaring us beloved children. The baptismal covenant is God's word to us, proclaiming our adoption by grace and our word to God, promising our response of faith and love. This morning, we're going to celebrate Holy Communion as well. And in the United Methodist Church, the communion table is open, the communion table is open to everyone. Got my B's and P's mixed up. Some parts of the Christian church say that you have to be a member of a particular denomination if you want to come to the table. Some parts of the Christian church say you have to be baptized in order to come to the table. Some parts of the Christian church say you have to be a certain age. You have to be old enough to understand what's happening. You have to believe the right things and say the right things. We, however, believe that we don't make ourselves worthy of coming to God's table. We already know that we aren't worthy to come to God's table. What makes us worthy is the invitation that God extends to us. There's a line from an old song, some of us call a hymn, that says, If ye tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. We know this to be true. Yet we respond to the invitation from God speaking into our hearts, telling us to come, to taste and see that the Lord is good, that Jesus tells us to take and eat. Jesus tells us, drink of this, all of you. And we believe this about church, about baptism, about communion, because of what Paul says next. You see, Paul says, sorry, 
Paul has said that if circumcision or Torah observance is of salvific importance, then he is set. He's at the front of the line. He's better than any of them. And therefore, he has the most to lose. But then he says, whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says that all the credit that he has earned all the clout he's supposed to have based on his advances in, the, in study and the law, his place at the front of the line, he counts it all as loss. And what's more, he's happy to give it up. He calls it trash. He's happy to let it go if it main, means gaining Jesus. Now here's the thing, friends. A religion based on saying the right things and doing the right things a religion based on outward signs and actions, it can be comforting. Because you know what you have to do, you know what you have to know, and you can know where you stand. That can be nice. It can be really helpful to compare yourself against your past self or against others. I might not be perfect, but you should have seen me in college. Or, I'm not the best, but I'm better than him. He's the worst. But yet, if you have the experience, if you experience the love and grace of Jesus Christ in your life, if you have experienced what it is to be forgiven, like truly forgiven, then you're happy to give up the scoreboard. You're happy to give up keeping score and comparing yourself. You're happy to give up gain and credit and points because there is true beauty in forgiveness. Now, true confession. I'm the type of guy that always needs to be right. I'm the type of guy that always needs to win. If there's a game we're playing, you might not think we're keeping score, but I'm keeping score. And I always win at mini golf. I'm the type of person who always wants to be on the good side, the correct side. It wasn't enough for me to get an A in high school classes. I had to have the highest grade in the class, and I had to have everyone else in the class know that I had the highest grade in the class. I'm that guy. You didn't like that guy. I know, because people didn't like me. <laughs> it's okay. God loves me. Most of the time. Not all the time. All the time, God loves me. But one thing that marriage has taught me is that things like being right aren't as important as love. One thing that marriage has taught me is that even after all the effort I put into being right, eventually I will be wrong. <laughs> and that forgiveness is beautiful. And that grace is beautiful. 
and that I'd rather give up needing to be right if it means I can live in a world where forgiveness and grace and love are real. There are nice things about a theology of being right and doing right. You know where you stand. You know the measuring stick. You know what you have to do and whether or not you're doing it. You can justify yourself rather than relying on someone else. And yet, you know what I find even more compelling? Holding a baby, looking at that baby, and saying to that child who has done nothing to earn it that you are a member of the family of God, that God has claimed you, God has welcomed you, and there is nothing you can do that could ever change that. Forever, this child is a member of God's family. Forever, this child is God's child. In a world of competition and scarcity, where there's never enough and we are constantly competing for those things we think we need, nothing is more beautiful than saying that God's love is so abundant. You don't need to compete for it. You don't need to earn it. It's given to you out of pure grace. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know the grace of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ in my life. I want to live in a world where the most important thing that there is, God's love and grace and acceptance, aren't earned, aren't competed for, but are freely given. I want to know that grace. I want to die to my need to justify myself before God. I want to die to my selfish and self-righteous ambition in order to be raised to life in grace through Jesus Christ. I want to live in a world where babies and believers alike are claimed, accepted, and loved by God. If you do too, then come to the table today. Come leaning not on your own worthiness, your own righteousness, but come leaning on the grace and love and forgiveness of God. Come not because your life or your faith or your knowledge compel you, but come as a response to the invitation of God in your life. Come to the table and let the grace and love of God nourish your soul. And then go from this place to announce to hurting people in a hurting world that they too can find love and acceptance and grace in God through Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Almighty and all-loving God, many times we want to make of ourselves our own Savior. We want to justify ourselves before you and before the world. Help remind us of the great good news that we aren't the Messiah. Frankly, nobody wants us to be that. We can't save ourselves and we should give up trying because you have already done it. You have already saved us. You have already claimed us. You have already brought us into your family. Help us know that. Help us live in that fact and help us rejoice and celebrate and worship that fact. And then help us go out to this world 
where people are hurting and fighting and competing and scratching and clawing, where people just want to be loved and let them know that they are loved, that they are accepted, and they don't need to compete for it. They don't need to fight for it. They don't need to do everything they try to do to find it. They just need to come to you. Help us be bold with that message, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.